This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Voters are already marking their ballots in the Kentucky primary and later we'll be meeting two Democrats running for Congress in Central Kentucky who hope to capture the seat held by Republican Andy Barr. Josh Hicks and Daniel Kemp will join us later. But first, protests and calls for action continue in Lexington. The demonstrations were sparked by the deaths of George Floyd in Minneapolis and Breonna Taylor in Louisville. But the local reaction has been a call to action within and beyond the African-American community. Sarah Williams is a protest organizer who believes changes must happen. And she is joining us today, and we appreciate that very much for being with us remotely. Sarah, thanks again for speaking with us. You have Yes, thank you for having me. You have talked about some of these issues for some time. You've been involved in, in, in social justice issues. What does this moment in time, though, represent to you? Um, this moment in time uh, represents something very historical um, and a long time in the making. Um, as somebody who studied the civil rights movement, uh, in some ways wishing that I could have been a part of it, I feel like uh, we have been presented with an opportunity uh, to demand and affect a deep transformative change for black and brown people living not only in Lexington, but living in this country. You have called for changes with the Lexington Police Department and uh, particularly with their collective bargaining agreement. Uh, do you believe that it provides too many protections for officers? Yes. Um, when the incident happened with the chaplain of LPD, Donovan Stewart, back in February 2019, um, and we sought to have him reprimanded or disciplined for his misconduct involving a teenager in our community, um, that's when it really laid bare just how many loopholes and accountability exist within police dis disciplinary policy that's determined by the current collective bargaining agreement or police contract. That agreement is, is worked out uh, in private uh, between the, the mayor's administration and the Fraternal Order of Police, and that has been the way it's been done for many years. Uh, do you uh, think that should be a, a more uh, transparent process? Yes, without question. The process of creating that contract, considering that you know the police are sworn to protect and serve the community in which they work, and also considering the fact that public safety uh, receives over 60% of the local city budget or taxpayer money. Um, there should be an opportunity for community input and community participation in the contract that governs uh, their conduct, their pay. Um, and right now, you know, as you stated, um, either the mayor can be at the table or somebody the mayor has appointed. Um, and it has always been from my research and specifically for this one as well, a lawyer, a law firm that has been appointed to sit at the table with largely fraternal order of police members and LPD officers and members um, to, to do those negotiations. And they are close to the public, as you stated. Some have called for defunding police, while others are calling for more extensive training and more inclusive recruiting. Uh, where do you come down on, on how to move forward in that regard? If, if exclusive or, or more inclusive uh, hiring and training were the answer, 
we would have seen results by now because that's been kind of the go-to political answer for some years at this point. Um, I do support defunding the police um, in the sense that, yes, it does open the door for us to have to imagine what that looks like. Um, and we're actually working on getting some infographics out about imagining what that looks like. But, you know, for example, for the past two weeks that we've been in the streets, you know, one of the things that we've said repeatedly is we've got us. Um, and it is displayed an example to not only LPT, but the broader community, how we are able to take care of ourselves, whether it's someone within the group that needs some redirection because we are peacefully protesting, understanding that there are some emotions involved with that, um, but also understanding that when we've had white supremacists uh, cause issues, we've also handled that ourselves um, inappropriately. So that's providing an example of what that could look like. So uh, you want a very broad discussion of how uh, Lexington moves forward with law enforcement. Yes, I believe it's fundamentally necessary for us to achieve what I call liberation from the strange fruit of white supremacy. Um, unless you are someone that has melanin to your skin, it can be very difficult to understand the threats that we face every time we walk out our door whether it's from encountering the Lexington Police Department or encountering somebody that is steeped in the white supremacist mindset um, and what could follow after that. So we're not just seeking a shift in, you know, yes, we want LPD accountability, that's the first step, but we're also seeking to transform the broader community so that we can all live freely. Are you proud of the fact that the demonstrations in Lexington have been largely peaceful and that uh, those who have been protesting have been uh, very diverse? Yes, I'm very proud of that fact. It has taken um, a collective work by a lot of people, a collective effort to ensure that protests remain peaceful. Um, but we have successfully done that for, for two weeks and also taught the youth um, how to do that. Um, in the first days of protests, there were you know, some other things that went on that could have easily escalated situations to not being peaceful. Um, and we've been able to not only redirect some of those folks present, but also teach them a way in which to do it peacefully. Um, and I understand that that is an example right now that people are looking at across the state and across the country. Um, and I'm just very grateful for all of the people present who have helped make that possible. Um, and as far as the diverse crowd, you know, liberation and freedom from the strange fruit of white supremacy cannot come just from black and brown people speaking up with our voices. It takes, you know, our white allies standing with us and it has been a very powerful and moving moment um, and a deep moment of community to see that happening here in Lexington. How does this move on and evolve uh, beyond the protests that, uh, that we have seen? Right, so we've actually already had several conversations with uh, the mayor with the police chief, with city council. Um, obviously, we've been in conversation with LPD um, in the past two weeks of being in the streets about meeting this, these demands. So the first step would be to have those demands met. We do plan on being in the streets and escalating protests peacefully um, as we see fit, so long as our voices are not heard. Um, and especially considering that there are you know, hundreds of clergy and thousands of people across the city standing with us to meet these demands. But then, you know, my work in the past six years has also included looking further at what we need to address. Um, one thing that's recently come up is racism within the Lexington Fire Department. And what we need to do is at every turn in which black and brown people are not treated the same way in which somebody with, that is white 
with no melanin to their skin is treated, we need to examine that. Um, and even beyond policy change, we seek to have a mindset shift for those of uh, the, for those people in the community that do not see the humanity of black and brown people. Um, so the work continues far beyond LPD accountability and truly shifting the Lexington community um, into better ways of being with each other. Sarah Williams, a protest organizer, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you'll stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers and we'll meet two Democratic candidates for Congress in Central Kentucky. Coming up next. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. This is a most unusual election year. COVID-19 caused the primary to be moved to June 23rd, and it's mostly being done by absentee ballot. You have to request one by Monday, June 15th, and have it postmarked or returned by the 23rd for it to be counted. Republican Congressman Andy Barr is running for re-election, hoping to capture a fifth term in Washington. He faces a primary field on the Democratic side and hoping to recapture a seat that has swung between between the parties over the last 40 years are two candidates. Later, we'll be joined by Daniel Kempf. He's a Lexington-based business analyst who has run before. But joining us first is Josh Hicks, who is playing up his rural roots, military service, and previous work in law enforcement. He's now a Lexington lawyer. He hopes his blunt talk will give him an advantage as he tries to win the Central Kentucky congressional seat. Mr. Hicks, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bill. I always appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Uh, first, uh, do the events of the last uh, few weeks with the deaths of uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd reframe uh, some of the issues that will be discussed as part of the 2020 campaign? You know, I don't know if they reframe them so much, Bill, as they emphasize some of the issues, some of the inequities that people are angry about right now. And, and when I saw that disturbing video out of Minneapolis that, that caused the death of George Floyd, as a former police officer, I thought that's that's nothing like I was ever trained to accept or, or ever trained to to participate in. What, what I saw there was a, was a murder of a man on a videotape. And so I think what this has done is really brought to light some reforms that are desperately needed and some, some oversight and some accountability because it seems like some of those police departments have lost the trust of the communities that they police. And so it's it's really up to us as leaders and up to their leadership from the police level to make sure that we're building bridges to, to gain that trust back. Will some of that have to come from the federal level? Does uh, legislation uh, from Washington have to be a part of the solution? I think it can be a part of the solution. I don't know that it has to be, but it can be and should be. Because those of us who, who want to be leaders in Congress and leaders for our communities, we have to speak up for our community members that are angry right now and, and righteously angry. And we have to speak up to make sure that their concerns are being addressed so that, that they know they can have faith in us as leaders. And we can help build that bridge so that they can have faith in, in the leadership and the police departments that are there to, to serve and protect them. As COVID-19, the pandemic took hold and Americans uh, sheltered in place, our economy went into a recession, and we have some signs of some recovery, even as uh, we all worry about a possible second spike and more economic out, uh, fallout from that. Does Washington need to do more to stimulate the economy, in your view? Well, Bill, we saw the numbers come out showing that this recession started in February. And I, and I think what COVID has taught us is that we were a very fragile economy to begin with. And there was lots of folks in lots of places, including here in this district, that were being left behind in this economy beforehand. And so when, when we heard about these booming economies and all these fantastic 
economic numbers that, that Andy Barr and others were touting, I, I was looking at my hometown and thinking, where is this? You know, Main Street's still drying up. Now, as we sit here with almost 900,000 unemployed Kentuckians, more than 40 million unemployed Americans, I think that there is a responsibility to be a part of the solution in the economic recovery. And I think that's going to begin with, with funding and relief for state and local governments who are, who are seriously damaged right now and really going to struggle just to be able to provide the basic services that so many of us and so many of our communities depend on on a daily basis direct aid from Washington to the local governments. You favor that? I, I think that's the only way we're going to pull ourselves out of this mess. I don't think that there's going to be a snapback in this economy because we were fragile beforehand. We were fragile before COVID. Rural communities were left behind before the coronavirus. And this has just exposed how fragile and delicate it was. And so unless we put ourselves back on the right track and then also at the same time recognize that if we're not building local and sustainable economies, we're going to be just as fragile for the next time a pandemic hits, the next time we have a crisis that just exacerbates and makes worse our already very delicate economies like here in Kentucky. Mr. Hicks, if you're successful, uh, what would your approach to health care be if you uh, were elected to Congress? Do you uh, favor uh, public options, uh, for instance? I, I do favor a public option, I'll, and I'll tell you why. For, first and foremost, this, this coronavirus pandemic has demonstrated how, how, how inequitable our health care system was. As we saw, African-Americans, people of color, suffered disproportionately early in the stages and continued through and it's all due to a lack of, of health care and lack of access to health care. So that's one piece of it. But the public option, I think, especially now, as we're seeing record levels of unemployment, I think the public option allows folks to disconnect their health care from their employment so that when they lose their job and they're fearful of being able to put food on their tables, they don't also have to suffer the terror of facing bankruptcy if they catch this virus or if they have something happen to them that, that's going to result in a prolonged stay in the hospital. So do you favor, uh, is it universal coverage or do people have a, the ability to buy into uh, to federal insurance? I, it's a, it's a buy-in from my perspective. I, I think we have to offer that. I think that's something that allows folks to have more flexibility in the things that they do and have a little more security uh, when we face our next crisis like this. Uh, I, I think that healthcare is a human right, but, but our healthcare system, while not being perfect, just needs the improvements. I think the public option is an addition that will improve it. I think there's things we can do to bring down health care prices within this existing system, and I think that's what we should be pushing for. During your campaign, you have called the opioid crisis a top priority for you. There's evidence that it has gotten worse during the pandemic, although we, uh, we have some emphasis on it and some programs that are underway now. Uh, what would you do to try to approach uh, that uh, scourge uh, on Kentucky? I think we've got to have, first and foremost, some accountability for, for the pharmaceutical companies that have contributed to this crisis. And I'll tell you, Bill, very, very disturbing news out there the other day. One of Andy Barr's donors, a corporate donor, made a video uh, to the tune of the Beverly Hillbillies calling folks who were suffering from addiction pillbillies. And, and to me, that just shows that the lack of care and the lack of responsibility for, for where this crisis started. And so we start with some accountability, which is, which is something we should all be pushing for in all levels these days. But with that accountability and with some funding, we can come in here with regional results-based rehabilitation centers. We can make sure that we're treating addiction as a public health crisis and not something that we have to task every police force in this, in this district or across the state to deal with. 
And I think once we get to some results-based solutions and we get to regional facilities that let every Kentucky have access and safe access to get themselves a good start, we're not only going to see the addiction rates lower, we're going to see overdose, overdose deaths drop, and we're going to see economic development as these folks are able to re-enter the workforce renewed and able to go back and contribute to their communities again. Could you work with President Trump if he's reelected or Joe Biden if he captures the White House in November? You know, I'm running this race, Bill, because I think Kentuckians need an independent voice, somebody who will work with the folks who have ideas that are beneficial for Kentuckians, but also someone who will stand up against those who want to harm Kentuckians or those who forget Kentuckians. And unfortunately, what we've got now is just a cheerleader, right? Our, our current congressman is too busy supporting the folks that he feels is on his team and not the folks that he represents the United States Congress. And, and I want to be different than that. And no matter who the president is, my responsibility, my duty, and my loyalty will always lie with the people of Kentucky's 6th District. And to the extent that someone wants to do something beneficial for our district, then I'm on board and I'll help and I'll be a vocal voice to ensure that that happens. But to the extent someone wants to harm this district or leave this district behind, my role, my purpose, my duty in Washington is to make sure I stand up and make sure every single Kentuckian in the 6th District is counted. A few seconds left. If Andy Barr is the Republican nominee, uh, how do you win? He has faced aggressive opponents before and he's uh, turned them all back. Well, I think we win, Bill, by making sure that we connect with every single Kentuckian who doesn't feel seen or heard or respected. And we let them know that there's an option that does care about being inclusive of everyone and respecting everyone's viewpoint and wants to be uniquely concerned with their unique issues here in the district. I think that's what people are craving these days. And I think it's something that will help rebuild the trust in our government, rebuild the competence in our government, and just be beneficial to everybody. Josh Hicks, Democratic candidate for Congress. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. And stay with us now. We'll be back with Daniel Kemp, his opponent in the primary that is ongoing. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. And we welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We just heard from Josh Hicks, hoping to unseat Congressman Andy Barr in the fall. We're joined now by Hicks' primary opponent, Daniel Kempf, running for the Democratic nomination. He's originally from California, has worked in computer software development and consulting for banking, and he's lived here in Kentucky since 2012. We welcome Daniel Kemp. Thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. You know, my first question, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up uh, in Lexington, uh, you know, about a decade ago? Well, you know, I work on these large-scale uh, computer software projects. Mm -hmm. And in um, my business, they've been working remote for many years. And I had a choice of where to live, and I wanted to give Kentucky a try. And I thought I'd come here, and if... If I liked it, I would, you know, stay. I'll sign a lease for a year, see how it goes. If I don't like it, I'll just move somewhere else. You know, and that was eight years ago. And I love it here. I love it here so much. You know, uh, Kentucky just uh, opened up its heart to me and um, allowed me to call this place home. And, and I can't imagine living anywhere else. And what makes you now uh, decide that you want to run for public office? Well, I want to give back. You know, I, I love Kentucky so much. I really want to give back to the people and the place that, uh, that I call home. And I thought this is the best way for me to give back to the community. I, you know, looked around and tried to find something in which I could use my skill set in the highest and best use. And I discovered that this, this would probably be the 
the best impact, the most benefit I could give to uh, families of Kentucky. Mr. Kemp, due to the uh, recent events with uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, uh, the, their deaths and, and, and the, the, the protests and the discussion that is underway uh, in America right now and here locally, uh, does anything in that change the tenor of your campaign? Well, first let me say that I stand with the protesters. Um, they have it all right. Even in the midst of a pandemic, they're willing to risk it all to go out and to fight the systemic racism that um, allowed for these tragedies of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I'm very happy that they, they're able to get out and do that. Um, has it changed for me? Yes and no. You know, I've always been aware of systemic racism and I've always fought for it, but that's what I've been fighting for in my platform is equality. You know, we're all looking for quality, affordable health care, and we want uh, an economy that works for everybody. And we solve these things and have it more inclusive and have it more equal for everybody to participate in our economy, then um, it's going to be better off for everybody. All of this comes in a year when uh, we have uh, this uh, ongoing COVID-19 pandemic uh, that the world is trying to respond to. And uh, we also have confirmed that we're in a recession uh, here in America. Do you think the, the federal government uh, needs to do more to try to stimulate the economy in the situation we're in? Well, absolutely. And, you know, Republican leadership is the ones that brought on the worst uh, uh, problems of the economy. You know, we needed an infrastructure bill. Uh, we've had a Republican trade war going against our our allies and our, our trading partners, and it's only exasperated the problem. Yes. I'm working to uh, relieve this, and we need to put more into uh, our economy and help people out, help the families out. Yes, there needs to be relief bills, but we need to have more positive, proactive uh, economic plan going into the future. What would that include? Well, definitely an infrastructure bill. But for the things that I'm talking about, because we need to revamp and rethink how we're doing the economy. And what I'm proposing and strongly support is making broadband internet a public utility, same as a house, uh, same as household items like electricity and water, so that more Kentuckians can participate in the 21st century economy. We've seen this with the pandemic, how it's um, brought about these problems we have. Uh, telehealth now we have more people working from home but just simply people being able to dial into their community network programs and hold meetings we're seeing the challenges and it's really putting a great divide between the haves and have-nots and we need to uh, have a great equalizer on this you know if there's a cable company or an internet provider that wants to have the lucrative markets of Louisville and Lexington they need to also be able they should be it should be mandatory that they're supplying Pikeville to Paducah too it shouldn't be unequal access like that. You've said that health care is a basic right. Uh, describe your plan. Uh, you have said you want to make sure that everyone has health insurance. Uh, what, in your view, is the best way to go on that? Is it, is it uh, through some combination of uh, private insurance and government, or do you go uh, to a, a full public plan? Well, we'll always have private insurance. And there is no launching or forcing everybody into a public option. Well, what we do need to do is introduce a new player into the market. I'm proposing that we make Medicare available to everybody who wants to, to try it. And, and in my proposal, I'm saying, let's have a Medicare opt-in. So whatever insurance rate you're paying this year, 
you opt into Medicare and you pay that same rate. And then if you decide for yourself that it's not for you, then you can opt back out and go into the insurance plan that you were previously at the same rate you were paying. If anything, it creates three years of stability of uh, healthcare coverage for uh, you know, Kentucky families, but it allows the people to decide what the choice is. I don't know if Medicare is the final solution, but we do need to have a new introduce a new player into the marketplace that is um, much more broad-based and it isn't as uh, restrictive as current healthcare plans or insurance plans. If we can separate the two, what it means to have access to healthcare and what it means to have access to insurance that covers your healthcare, we separate those two ideas and we can get more people into it and we can allow the people to decide what it is that's best for their family. How much priority do you put on fighting the opioid crisis that uh, has gripped uh, Kentucky so hard? You know, this, the pain, the, the price that Kentucky has had to pay in the opioid crisis, we average over 1,100 deaths a year from 2012 through uh, 2018. And this is, you know, it's not just the loss of life, but it's the pain that's brought about to these families. This is a priority and it's a priority on multiple levels. You know, whatever programs that we have currently in our communities, the federal government needs to enhance those programs with federal dollars so that more people get uh, access to those programs. But we also need to be we also need to have an economic plan so that more people can participate because the reasons why people seek out the comfort of opioids and um, just distracting themselves from their reality, we need to alleviate some of those reasons and give them some hope and, and show them that we're acting on their behalf. We have a few seconds left. If uh, you are the Democratic nominee, do you believe that you can unseat uh, Republican Congressman Andy Barr, who uh, has been there now for uh, uh, nearly a decade? Absolutely. I actually believe that I'm the only candidate that can un unseat Andy Barr. We are having a larger national discussion be between the two ideologies. We're having a national discussion about whether a corporation has rights that exceed actual human rights. We're having a discussion about uh, distancing uh, health care from the actual insurance. And we're talking about a quality education that's free and public for everybody. And it's this uh, choice between the two is the definition of what it's going to be an American in the 21st century. And the Republican ideology is failing us. You know, corporations are not people and healthcare and insurance are not the same thing. And we're waking up to that fact and people need a clear Daniel, choice on that. Daniel Kempf, candidate for Congress. Thank you for being with us. That's our time. We do appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Make it a good week ahead.